Well, good morning. It's so good to see some of you here this morning and, and to be here to worship. Um, if, if you're joining us, we have been in the process of going through the book of Nehemiah. Um, and, and our purpose in doing this all along has been how we can understand how to follow and obey God's will by pursuing His plans and in doing that, realizing how we can do God's plans God's way. As we've moved through this book, I made a confession in the bulletin two weeks ago. And so if you didn't get a chance to read that, I'll remind you that one of the things that I kind of struggle with, especially in studying Old Testament uh, narrative, is I tend to drop myself in the midst of what's going on. And so as we've been progressing through Nehemiah, one of the things that has stood out to us has been that there is internal conflict that as a leader he is facing and he's having to deal with. There's external conflict, people who are really out to get him and to stop his plans to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. I just want to take a moment and pause and say, I'm so thankful that we're not dealing with all of those things today. It's good to be reminded of that. And as we've arrived at chapter 5, I've been somewhat relieved to be jarred from uh, whatever's going on in my mind where I was dropped in this narrative. What stands out whenever we study Nehemiah is what does it take to lead scripturally the way that a Christian should be leading? And this is a hard thing to talk about because whenever we discuss leadership, sometimes people who are sitting and they're hearing these messages, they might say, well, I'm not necessarily a leader. This doesn't have anything to do with me. I want to challenge you this morning to think about all of the different roles and positions that you have in your life. In some way, every person who's here this morning has a responsibility to lead somebody else and as a consequence is a leader. When we talk about the function of the church or what we're doing here, we say that we have a mission. Our mission is to point people to God, to pull people together, and to prepare people to live on mission. If we're going to accomplish that and take that idea or that concept and actually make results come from it, action is required. If we're going to be successful in that, quite simply, it requires everyone to participate in that vision. It's not enough just to have a vision statement or a mission statement or core values, but we have to be united together to bring that to life. And to do that, we also have to realize that outside of the different roles that we have in life, we also are a leader in ministry in this church. The reality is we all have different burdens and things that we're passionate about. And if we're really putting that into action, that means that we are called to participate in a ministry, some way that we're supposed to serve others, some way that we're supposed to contribute to the mission statement of the church and work harmoniously with one another. So when we talk about leadership this morning, I want to challenge you to realize that you are a leader and that everything that I'm talking about applies to you. So far as we've progressed through Nehemiah, we've seen a couple of hallmarks that we can rely on in identifying biblical leadership. We'll make note that Nehemiah 1.4, we saw that a leader prays for his people. 
Nehemiah tells us in verse 5 that he does this and he prays for his people because he, God is faithful to persevere in his covenants that he has made with them. Second, we find in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, that Nehemiah takes time to plan for his people because it is God that has placed the ideas in his mind. He tells us that in verse 12. Moving on to Nehemiah chapter 5, where we were last week. We find that a leader pleads for unity among his people, frankly, because God is pleased with unity. The example of leadership for us then is that we should pray for each other in confidence that God will persevere in His covenants. Plan for the future, being fully reliant on God to place the ideas in our hearts and minds. And that we should plead for unity with one another because God is pleased with our unity. This morning, as we continue to study chapter 5 in the book of Nehemiah, we'll add one more hallmark mark of leadership. Hallmark mark of... Hallmark of... It's better written down. A leader must have integrity. I don't want to spend any more time in introduction... But I do want to remind us all what we looked at last week. Nehemiah found that the biggest problem facing the people in Jerusalem was not external forces like Sanballat and Tobiah and all of these enemies of the state who were developing plans to attack Jerusalem and to stop the building project as they joined efforts to rebuild the wall. Instead, the problem that faced most of the people was in fact other Jews who were taking advantage of a vulnerable situation and taking advantage of other Jews. Nehemiah pleaded with them to stop this. And they said that they would. We pick up then in Nehemiah, if you'll read along with me, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. But before I read, I would like to pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather together today in your name, to worship you and to praise you, to sing songs and open our hearts before you. Lord, as we begin to study your word, I pray that you would help me and help all of us to relinquish the burdens that we carry with us. God, help me to clear my mind that I could focus on you. Lord, I pray that you would help my heart to be sensitive to your word, that I might be able to hear the truth that you have for me this morning. And God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' heavenly name. Amen. The Bible says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year of the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we, were, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. 
Now that was prepared at my expense. For each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. If you're taking notes, and sometimes it helps to take notes, I I want to make it a little bit easier this morning than normal. I have three R's that I'm going to talk about. And so we're going to use those R's to hang our ideas as we up as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first R is rejected. We find first that Nehemiah rejected the food allowance that was given to the governor. Now, what would have been normal during this time or something to think about would have been that kings and those who ruled and governors and and people in these positions would have measured their influence or their success mainly by the appropriations that were given to them. Nehemiah, as governor of Jerusalem, sent here by the king and with the permission to rebuild the wall and the vision to rebuild the wall, had every right to take a food allowance that he was allotted so that he could take care of business the way that he needed to take care of it. We find, though, he rejects that very food allowance. He says, I don't want it. I don't need it. I appreciate it, but no. Why would he do that? He has a job to accomplish, and I think it would be burdensome on on him to accomplish this job if he refuses the food allowance. He tells us the reason why he would deny this, this privilege or, or whatever it was that was afforded him, was simply because he recognized that the burden of taking this food allowance would come from the people. If he were to take this, the people would be taxed, and as a result, they would suffer. Isn't it interesting that a leader recognizes the value of the whole more than he recognizes the value of himself? Nehemiah wouldn't have had the opportunity to read what Paul wrote the Philippian church in Philippians 2, but he certainly lived by it. Take a moment, if you're not familiar with Philippians 2, to look there. Philippians 2 verse 1 says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Nehemiah pleaded with the people in the previous section or last week what we were studying. He pleaded with the other Jewish leaders to look at what they were doing to their brothers and sisters, to look at what they were doing to their community. By leveraging interest rates and taking advantage of economic distress and whatever situations had had presented themselves, they were putting their brothers and their sisters in a bad way. 
And he pleads with them to see what they're doing and to recognize that their own prosperity and their own value is not worth the, the, the destruction that they are causing on the other side of the spectrum. Nehemiah does exactly what he says. Now, this is different. He's not taking advantage of a vulnerable situation. When we're talking about the food allowance that was afforded the governor, this isn't taking advantage of anything. In fact, this is something that is a, a part of what's owed him. It's a part of his... Um, it, it would be all right for him to take this. But still, the motivation behind not taking advantage of the situation and not taking the food allowance is the same. He values the whole more than he values himself. It's too easy for us today to think of examples of leadership in our world, and certainly the same would be true in Nehemiah's today, in, in Nehemiah's world, where leaders use their position to look out for themselves, to advance themselves or promote themselves, to give themselves greater influence or, or greater privilege. That should not be the case for Christian leadership, and that is, that is especially true when we talk about spiritual leadership. The reality is, a cross stands in the way of spiritual leadership. Writes J. Oswald Sanders, a cross upon which the leader must consent to be impaled. The real mark of biblical leadership is allowing our own needs to become a sacrifice for the needs of others. When we talk about our positions in ministry and what we contribute to the needs of the whole, do we see ourselves sacrificing? Or do we see ourselves trying to accomplish something for our own glory? Our own reward, our own motivation. The real question hardly is ever an issue of what action is being taken. But most of the time when we need to evaluate something, it comes down to our motives. Nehemiah's motive was not that he would be prominent, not that he would be recognized, not that he could accomplish something great, but that he could live in obedience to what God had burdened him with. And in doing so, his motive for asking the Jewish people to be united with one another is the same imperative that he makes whenever he says, I will not take the food allowance owed me. Second, Nehemiah also rejects the example of his predecessors. I said that uh, the it would have been owed him, and this would have been something that was tradition, that his predecessors before him would have taken a food allowance. The other the former uh, governors of, of Jerusalem would have taken their food allowance. But Nehemiah rejects that. What does that say for tradition in the marks of leadership? Sometimes there's things that are worth holding on to, but the reality is if we're going to make any strides leading in ministry, whatever ministry we've been called to, we have to recognize that our context or our cultural circumstances might change in such a way that what worked 40 years ago will not necessarily work today. Just because Nehemiah's predecessors took a food allowance does not mean that he needed to take a food allowance. 
Leadership is not following a path that has already been paved, but it is embarking through the frontier that is unknown to us and those who follow. Leadership in the church does not come from flawlessly executing what has been done time and time again. Leadership in ministry requires that we would be sensitive to the Spirit's leadership. How often do we find ourselves in a position where we pray for God to open doors of opportunity for us? And looking back, we see these doors opened, but we were so hesitant to walk through them because we were facing the wrong direction. I think it's a common occurrence that we pray for God to open doors of opportunity for us in ministry, and we have a concept or a preconceived notion of what that would look like, and when the opportunity presents itself, we're hesitant to actually recognize what is before us. Because we've already determined what God should do, or the way that He should work. The Bible says that God has prepared before us the steps that we should take, but so often I think Christians are in the mindset that we have prepared before the way that God should answer our prayers. We put on blinders For real biblical leadership to work, we need not one leader, not two leaders, but we need everyone to recognize their position and their role in leadership and contributing to the needs of the church. And the only way we'll ever be successful in that is if everyone has a mind that they can take the blinders off and they can see the way God is working in the areas of service, The way that God is, is making doors open for us. We've got to get out of this idea of looking at what happened and what was successful 50 years ago. And we have to recognize a change in culture and a change in situation that we live in today. And realize that God is not out of the business of seeing the same prosperity in the church that we saw 50 years ago. He's just ready for us to change the way we're doing it. Sometimes we put constrictors on ourselves that just aren't there. I think it's better to take those off and to make sure that the only constrictions we apply to the way that we do ministry are found in this revelation. Anything outside of this limits us. Nehemiah also tells us his purpose for rejecting this precedence. He tells us at the end of verse 15, if you want to look there, that it is simply because he feared the Lord, because he feared the position that he had been given and the responsibility that came with it, that he rejected this precedence. No one has arrived to Greenwood, Arkansas by mistake. No one has arrived in the year 2021 by mistake. It's so easy to say, I think I should have been born in a different time, or maybe if I lived in a different place. But folks, I think it's important for us to realize that God has placed us here with a purpose. In this time and in this place. He's called us to this church with a purpose. Did you know that if you're here this morning, it's not a mistake? It didn't happen by accident. 
It wasn't the culmination of circumstances that made it possible. If you're here this morning, it's because it was God's will for you to be here. If you woke up this morning, it's because it was God's will for you to wake up this morning. That's quite a position to take hold of. It's quite a position to accept that everything that I do, that I'm here before you this morning, standing behind this pulpit, or preaching this message because it was God's will that on this day that I would prepare to preach from Nehemiah chapter 5. And that in doing so, my obedience to Him or your obedience to whatever you've been called to do is imagine the weight of that. It didn't happen by accident, but there is a purpose behind it. And a purpose that comes from the Most High. The all-knowing, the all-powerful. It's quite a responsibility. If we really understand God's sovereignty in the circumstances of our life, I think it is burdensome to consider the position that we find ourselves in regardless of what it is. And like Nehemiah, it would be right for us to recognize our reverence and our fear of God to realize that we have a responsibility to live in obedience and sensitivity to the Spirit's leadership. I said that Nehemiah rejected the food allowance that was given him, and he rejected the precedence set by his predecessors. In doing this, I think there's two marks for application we can take away. First, that we should recognize the benefits of the whole more than we recognize the value of ourselves. That we should live for one another more than we live for ourselves. And second, that in order to be sensitive to the Spirit's leadership in our life, we must submit ourselves to the different ways that He is leading us. And the biggest part of that is relinquishing what we think He should be doing. The second R this morning is remaining. Nehemiah remained focused on the work that was before him. It's a great project to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been uh, torn down. In fact, and I've mentioned several times, this had been attempted twice before Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He's here, but he remains focused on the work. Notice that Nehemiah says that he took no lands. Him and his servants, they took no lands or they took no property while they were doing this. The economic distress that had taken place in Jerusalem while they were rebuilding this wall and entering a state of war was such that the real estate market would have been flooded. Everyone was selling their house. And what happens whenever there's a prominence of available houses on the market? The price goes down, right? If there's more people selling, then there are people buying, the price comes down. This would have been a great time for somebody that had the means or the provisions to, uh, uh, to, to buy land. But Nehemiah didn't spend any time doing this. And I, part of it, I think, is what we talked about last week, that he saw that it would be taking advantage of the vulnerability of those who were in distress. But I think another part of it is he didn't have time. His focus was on rebuilding the wall, and that is where his focus remained. 
it would um, Nehemiah's focus on rebuilding the wall is an example for us of the importance of the burden that was placed on his heart. He realized that God had burdened him with this effort to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, to restore to glory the or to restore to glory the city of God's people. And he wasn't going to allow himself to be distracted with real estate or ventures. I have a saying um, in, my, in my other job. Ideas times actions equals results. I love working with people, especially creative people, because, man, creative people have all the ideas. What stinks about working with some people who are very creative is some of them lack any initiative to take action. And an idea without action doesn't really come up to a whole lot, does it? The only way that we actually see results is if we put into motion the things that we are working towards. Something to think about. Our church has adopted a mission statement. We've also adopted core values. I've said that our mission is to point people to God, to pull people together, and to prepare people to live on mission. If we aren't doing anything to point people to God or to pull people to one another or to prepare people to live on mission, that is just an idea. The example of leadership that Nehemiah gives us is that we have to be so serious about the mission that we've adopted, that we've been united behind, that we are united behind, that we are continuously pushing onward to put those ideas into motion. That we are recognizing our need of participation to make those things a reality. When we think of leadership, Oftentimes, we think of somebody creating a, a scheme or a plan and then others going out and executing it. That wasn't the case whenever Nehemiah was leading in this rebuilding project. He was out with everyone who served among him, rebuilding the wall. He didn't have time to, to look at these business ventures and everything else because he was out doing the work with them. If we really want to lead in ministry and we really want to be successful, we have to allow ourselves to roll up our sleeves and get to work. I work with someone, his name's Heath, and I'll probably use him in some more sermon illustrations, so you guys should grow familiar with Mr. Heath. He's a strange character, um, a lot of weirdness. Heath, uh, like me, kind of has a comes from a corporate background, but he has way more experience than I do um, because I'm so childishly young, um, and and Heath has just a wealth of experience in the in the corporate world and working with people and bureaucracies that come along with that. And uh, I, it's funny, I asked Heath, why did you leave all that to come to this small company and to work and to do these different things? He said. Honestly, I got tired of talking all day long. I just wanted to roll up my sleeves and get cracking code. He just wanted to get to work. Do we have that attitude in the church? You know, sometimes the best way to accomplish something isn't to have a, 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 a structured plan. 
It's just to get to work. To roll up your sleeves and start doing something. I challenged you all a couple of weeks ago to think about the burdens that God has placed on your heart, to to consider what ministries are valuable to you. I have a vision that every person who's a member of Denver Street Baptist Church would have a place where they would serve in ministry. That every person who's a member of Denver Street Baptist Church would recognize their responsibility to serve in ministry in some way. And I ask, what are you passionate about or what are you burdened with? What's God placing on your heart? What need do you see that's not being filled? What are you waiting on? Are you waiting on a plan? Some sort of structure to appear? Can I challenge you one more time this morning? Roll up your sleeves and get to work. A plan will follow. But ultimately, it's not a human plan that we're after following. If we're following the leadership of God, and we understand the way that He leads us, it starts with Him placing the desires of our hearts whenever we live in obedience to Him. So if something's been placed there, do something about it. And if something hasn't been placed there, consider the second part of the phrase that I just said. When we live in obedience to Him. you're struggling to think, what is this burden? Or why, why don't, what is, the, what is the burden? Maybe your issue is that you don't have one. Maybe we should evaluate our lives and the obedience that we're living towards God. And ask Him over and over again, continuously pleading with Him that He would give us these desires of our heart. Real leadership means getting down and dirty with the work. Jesus gave us the same example. And again, Nehemiah wouldn't have had the privilege to read the Gospel of Luke to know this, but he certainly lived by it because he was living sensitive to the Spirit. Jesus' example in Luke 22, verses 24 through 27 say, remember, this is the scene of the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. And the disciples begin to have some sort of discourse among each other as they try and figure out who's the most important or who's the most special disciple among them. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, this is Jesus, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who who serves. Jesus says, I, the greatest of the greatest, am among you now as one who serves. Isn't that the example that we should follow? Second, I said that Nehemiah remains focused on the work. Follow me. He also remains generous and hospitable. Look at the the number of people that he regularly fed. The Bible tells us in verse 17 that it was 150 men, not counting their families and everyone else. 
Now, think about this, if you want to put it into perspective. King Solomon, back in the day, we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4, towards the end, what his regular daily provisions or food that he would prepare looked like. And we can estimate from that that he served 500 people at a time. Nehemiah in Jerusalem is serving 150 regularly. This tells us that he either had some sort of open house or that the leftovers were going to contribute to the needs of those who were already struggling and contributing to the needs of the wall. Maybe he was feeding those who were working along with him. This part amazes me, though, because Nehemiah says that he did all of this out of his own pocket. He's not taking the food provisions, and this is exactly what the food provisions are for. I would think, and wouldn't it make sense... If I'm not going to take the food provisions because it would place a burden on my people, well, I'm also not going to take the burden upon myself to do the things that I would be expected to do with these food provisions. That makes sense, right? Like, I can not tax the people, but I'm also not going to have these large feasts for 150 people. But that's not what Nehemiah did. He remained generous. He remained contributing to the work. He prepared one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. He was contributing to the needs and living in a generous way. You know, sometimes we think that we want to, to get to a place in life of prosperity or financial security or financial peace, and we want to do it with the purpose that maybe our stress is gone or maybe so that we can live a, a particular way or, or do something... I think the reason we should be pushing for financial peace in our lives is so that we can live like nobody else, so that we can give like nobody else, so that we can contribute to the needs of people around us as we see them without a second thought or without a concern, so that when we realize that there's a ministry that needs to get off the ground and it's going to take just a little bit of effort or just a little bit of provision, we can give without thinking so that we can contribute to missions all around the world, so that we can live life the way that nobody else is living. Financial peace isn't about ourselves. Financial peace is about the whole. It's about contributing back to the whole. We said at the beginning of this message this morning that Nehemiah's example of leadership was one that he valued the benefit and the prosperity of the whole more than himself. Are we willing to do the same thing? My last R this morning, and this is significantly shorter than the first two. Nehemiah was remembered. Verse 19. This is the fourth prayer of Nehemiah we've come across so far. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. I think it would be a mistake to look at this verse and to think that Nehemiah did everything with the wrong motivations or that the reason that he prayed this prayer was that, that God would remember him and that would establish him. And, and you know, sometimes we talk about salvation and we think that the reason people have placed their faith in Christ isn't actually because they have faith in Christ, but it's because they heard the story about hell and they're more afraid of that. And they said, I'll just take this up as fire insurance. It's like an insurance policy on my house. Just in case something comes up, 
I've got this to cover me. By the way, guys, that kind of faith doesn't save you. It won't save you. The only kind of faith that saves us is whenever we actually recognize who God is and who we are before Him and we realize our need. A real need. I can't go out and get an insurance policy to cover my eternal destination. I'm not capable of saving myself. It's not about me going out and getting a policy that will protect me. It's about realizing that I have nothing at all inside of me that will actually save me. My faith isn't the protection that's been afforded me. My faith is realizing that I have nothing, nothing to sit down on, but I'm going to sit down anyway because I have faith in the one who has already provided everything that I need. Nehemiah's prayer for God to remember him is not a prayer of God, I've done all of these things, so please remember me and protect me. This is a prayer that recognizes that one day all people will stand before God and they will be judged. And if I've been saved, which means all of my sins have been covered up by the blood of one who is greater than I am, I still get to be judged for my obedience. Nehemiah's prayer is one that recognizes, God, I don't need any recognition for the things that I've done. I didn't do these things solely for the benefit of my people or the success of my mission or the things that I'm here for. God, I did these things because I recognize that you will judge me for my obedience. God, I realize that you've called me to a life of obedience and I want to be that obedient servant before you. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 5 tells us that this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those who are entrusted with the mysteries of God, with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes and he will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. There is a trap in sacrificing ourselves on the cross of leadership that we should be careful of. That sacrifice isn't done so that we can be recognized. It isn't done so we can accomplish something, but the sacrifices that we make, we do for God's glory. It would be better that our sacrifices were kept in secret so that when that time of judgment comes, what was done in darkness can be brought to light and our reward will only exist in heaven. I see 
oftentimes whenever ministries get started or, or new projects or new efforts or new programs or different things in the church, those who are contributing to them find themselves in the position that they're um, pushing onward and, and the things are starting to take steam. And, and, and then what inevitably happens is there's a, a little bit of discouragement that comes along. And we've seen that in, in the, through the book of Nehemiah already as they started the building project. Just a little bit of discouragement came and got in the way. Oftentimes our discouragement is no one even cares about what I'm doing. No one even cares. No one's looking at this. It's not actually profiting anyone. We need to be reminded that the burden that got us there is the reason why we're doing it. It's not so we can be recognized. It's so we're obedient and sensitive to what the Spirit is leading us. Are we willing to place the prosperity of the whole above the prosperity of ourselves? To be diligent in the work that has been given over to us? Be, to be faithful in our generosity through it? And to remember and look forward to the day of judgment that lies ahead for all of us? That's where our reward should be. And now I have a question. Is that where your reward is? We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation in just a little bit. Well, you can stand now if you want. Uh, it'll be hard for me to speak, though, so if you want to wait, um, and then I'll finish talking, and then you can stand. It makes a lot of noise when a room full of people stand. Have you ever noticed that? Anyways, we're having this song of invitation. Would you evaluate yourself this morning and ask, do you have a faith that is like that of a fire insurance policy? Or do you have a faith that realizes that you can do nothing to save yourself? And if you do have a faith, a real faith, are you living as obediently as you can be? And if not, what stands in the way?